Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. John, I think we have a great show lined up for the day. Very timely here talking about the stock market. Um, you know, I'm gonna t- uh, my segment's going to talk about what's hurting stocks because everybody's kind of asking, you know, it's been three and a half, four months now, and the market hasn't really gone anywhere. So um, we're going to dig into that. You know, I mean, what is it that's, that's kind of holding the market back? And what are the positives and the negatives that are affecting the market going forward? Does it have something to do with Twitter? Uh, well, yeah, Twitter feeds, yeah, the, those those little tweets that come from the, a piece of the from POTUS that does hurt the market occasionally. Oh goodness gracious, yeah, that makes uh, it's interesting. I, every morning I drive to work and I listen for all right. He's tweeted again. What's he tweeting about? So um, exactly, yeah. So and then we're also going to talk about um, panic um, is really not a strategy. I mean, you know, the markets did very well in January and they've been down a little bit. We went through a correction, so panic. We see that. We have a lot of questions from clients and folks out there. Um, panic is not a good way to go, and neither is greed for that matter. So we're going to kind of talk about a balanced approach that historically has been a good way to approach these uh, difficult situations. Yeah, that'll be a good one as well. Um, by the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro with over 23 years experience providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis, also a Dave Ramsey SmartVestor Pro. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 25 years. We're excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly show. Our podcasts are up every Friday afternoon. Yeah, go check out our website, moneymd.net. We have a link to the podcast, all the historical ones. Have a whole bunch of videos out there. Check it out. We, we're trying to really stock that with a lot of useful information. We have a retirement planning uh, little package out there as well. So check that out. Also, Facebook, we also put a weekly uh, post out there. It's a video. Um, someone in the office, typically it's you and I, but we do spread the wealth. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of very useful information out there. And uh, we cover our uh, prescription of the week every week on Facebook, as you said. And uh, we'd love to hear from you as well. Um, you can reach us at info at moneymd.net, or you can link to us right off our website, moneymd.net. Um, we're going to start off here, John, with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this comes from the Society of Actuaries. That sounds interesting. Yeah, yeah those are exciting people. They <clears throat> sit around and just look at data all day. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, my daughter is like one of those data is people. She? So right, good. Good for go. her. Yeah, Caitlin. Yeah, good. Good for her. I didn't realize she's uh, she's doing actuarial work. Well, no actuarial work. She's a she's in statistics. Okay. And, and she has a master's in the world needs those kind of people yeah, really. in I mean, statistics and economic. That's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So for the, here's a, the financial fact. 47% of American workers report they do an excellent job or a very good job at living within their budget, which means 53% don't. And I'm yeah, not sure. That's I, not good. I'm not sure I believe the 47% number. Yeah. It seems kind of high to me. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think sp- people have their the, this perception. I know 47% don't actually keep a detailed budget. Right. That's probably they lower just, in the teens. Exactly. I think they just they just have this impression that they're living well within their budget because they don't have a ton of debt maybe that's building up. Maybe, mm-hmm. that, maybe that's what they mean. Yeah, I mean, we see, I mean, we have clients that we look at their financial situations and they've saved well and, and sometimes they've done well with budgets. But, um, you know, Dave Ramsey has a great uh, process that, that he uses. There's a lot of other apps out there, every dollar. Um, you need a budget, YNAB. 
Right. That's a good one. That's so a good one. Yeah. If you're not doing budgeting, that really is step number one. You got to start doing budgeting and tell your money where to go. Otherwise, it'll just disappear. Exactly. Yeah. And if you're saving 15% of your money per per year, um, then you're probably doing a good job. Mm, absolutely. So, but I suspect those 47% of the people are not saving 15%. I would not so. think they would be. But anyway, very interesting fact of the week. That's a good one. And that leads us up here to our first topic, and that is what's hurting stocks? Uh, yeah, this comes out of uh, the Charles Schwab market commentary very recently. And, you know, John, as you mentioned, I mean, we often hear it said that uh, panic is not an investment strategy. <laughs> yes, we have heard that. <laughs> we have heard that. But, you know, the media, they often take the opposite view, you know, as they breathlessly rush to report, you know, it's breaking news. And they add that, you know, markets in turmoil, you know, there's a specials after every particular volatile day, you know, they have a special report on the market. Um, you know, and it must work to gain viewers or they wouldn't wouldn't do it. Um, but investors, they'd be better served to take a step back, you know, keep their emotions in check and kind of maintain discipline. Um, you know, within one day recently, we saw the market <clears throat> move 700 points um, on the Dow Jones Industrial Average from, you know, a big loss to a solid gain by the end of the day. And we all remember that. It was just a, just a week mm -hmm. or two, a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, the media, though, they have a tendency to want to find that one force each day um, to explain the big moves in the market as if the stock market were otherwise an inanimate object, you know, waiting for a specific news to swing it one direction or the other. You know, the, the market's always been more complicated than that, and it's somewhat predictable that volatility would pick up, you know, this year after the, the calm year we had last year in 2017. Yeah, last year was unusually <laughs> calm, so it, it, it really is not a surprise. And aside from the tendency for volatility to pick up when the economy moves uh, to later stages of the cycle, you have rising interest rates. Um, there are shorter-term forces at work as well. We see trade really has moved to the forefront. And um, much, you know, as President Trump said during his presidential campaign, he was going to focus on that. And he has. And uh, despite the dire headlines of a potential trade war, at this point, it seems like, you know, negotiations are, are aimed at getting a better and fairer trade deal in place versus an all-out trade war. And for all that bluster surrounding the possibility of walking away from the North American free trade um, agreement, the Wall Street Journal reportedly uh, has has said that the uh, President Trump is pushing for a deal announcement in the near future, and a lot of the sticking points have already been agreed to. So, you know, Trump did write that book called The Art of the Deal, right? Yes, he did. And so he's pretty good at it, and the the media has fallen for it, quite frankly. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> you let's, know, yeah let's let's hope he's got a strategy behind all that, and it, you know, I mean, but he's. He's getting some movement, and so maybe it's working. Yeah, so don't don't look at the headlines and try to make decisions. You just can't do that. Exactly. You cannot. And, uh, you know, China has really been the hotbed uh, of the headlines lately with the United States opening the salvo with the proposed tariffs. You know, you remember that tweet, you mm -hmm. know, $50 billion worth of Chinese imports that they were going to put tariffs on. <clears throat> and then China came back immediately with their proposed tariffs on roughly 50 billion of us imports. And that followed by the president announcing that he was looking at the possibility of tariffs on an additional hundred billion of Chinese goods. Um, you know, this most recent volley was surprising, not the least due to its lack of detail. Um, but there's an important word in there that's often overlooked, and that is proposed. Mm -hmm. You know, these tariffs on both sides 
they won't actually go in effect for several weeks. And, you know, both sides um, are making sure the note they're continuing to negotiate with the hopes of coming to a deal. Although we don't want to downplay the consequences of a potential trade war that certainly could move the markets quite a bit. Um, but, you know, the total exports to China only represent 0.7% of GDP. So it's while it's significant, it's not a huge factor in our overall economy. Um, but one effect of this recent volatility has been the further dent investor sentiment. You know, the overly optimistic sentiment had been a factor behind our more cautious outlook for 2018. They're saying here with, you know, Schwab is saying. Um, so an easing in the fourth quarter or in the froth, which had accompanied the January all-time highs for the major uh, indexes, <clears throat> is is welcome. And according to Ned, Ned Davis research, um, their sentiment poll they say conditions to move from an extreme optimism zone to the cusp of extreme pessimism zone um, has kind of come forth. And so the recent selling has also, you know, helped to kind of partly alleviate the expensive valuations on the uh, P.E. ratios that people evaluate mm-hmm. the S&P 500 by. And according to uh, uh, Thompson Reuters, it has moved from roughly 18 to 16. So the market has gotten a little bit cheaper uh, during this process. So that's a positive as well. So, um, you know, with all the action surrounding trade issues and the headlines coming from the tech sector, it seems that economic developments have moved to the back burner. And while earnings season is also heating up with less fanfare than it usually is, it is looking to be very good. So the early results look very promising. They're expecting about 17.3% earnings growth uh, this past quarter, <clears throat> and those reports are starting to come in, and that would be the highest earnings growth since 2011. And one renowned research firm, FactSet, is projecting earnings growth that will come in about 20% based on the early reporting that's already come out. So that would be uh, an incredibly strong quarter for earnings. So that could be very positive. Recently, there have been some weaker economic releases, though, you know, which is not surprising given the tendency of the last 20 years for first quarter uh, weakness in the economy. But that's followed usually by a pickup in the second quarter. In fact, the Bureau of Economic Analysis, they continue to um, kind of grapple with the persistence of the seasonal pattern of over the last 20 years of the first quarter being weak. That pattern is likely repeating itself this year, and it's been seen by the uh, Citigroup Economic Surprise Index, which measures how data is coming in relative to expectations. Yeah, I mean, but basically what this has done is lowered expectations, um, which really should help, um, you know, as we go into the second quarter. We do see the manufacturing and the non-manufacturing um, ISM, the Institute of Supply, Supply Management. Those indexes have slipped a little bit from last month. But they are very healthy. They remain well above the 50 mark, which separates expansion and contraction. And also of note, the manufacturing side reported the largest backlog of orders since May of 2004. And that's a key leading indicator for the economy historically. That's a good sign. I mean, backlog is going up. People are buying. That's right. Um, That's right. And, you know, jobs is another positive thing. Um, This past uh, month, it came in at 103,000 jobs, which wasn't particularly strong, but the unemployment rate held at 4.1%. And 
and the previous month was 326,000 jobs. So when you add those two together, <clears throat> it's a pretty good average over the last couple months. And the hourly age uh, wage earnings also went up by 2.7% year over year. So that's a pretty good that's positive. tick up. Yeah. So that's positive. So there's a lot of positive things going on in the economy right now. Um, but pressure, you know, on the Fed to raise interest rates is another factor. And fortunately, it, you know, they've started raising interest rates a couple of years ago, and they've taken a very slow approach at this. And it's it's coming in um, pretty steady. I mean, they're not they're not feeling a lot of pressure to raise interest rates because the economy has softened a little bit here in the first quarter. So that's a good thing. That's actually a positive thing. For now, inflation remains relatively contained with the CPI index at a modest 2.1% uh, increase year over year with the core index. The the tight labor market, you know, continues to be a concern. Um, but if you combine that with the tailwind of tax cuts and the moving of company cash held overseas in the U.S., inflation is likely to accelerate further, they're saying. So that's why the Fed is being kind of hawkish and they're watching this very closely but it doesn't seem to be something that <clears throat> that we expect some big change in uh, in the near future. Yeah, and another thing, Steve, we've talked about the trade war, but uh, there's been talk of actual war as well. Um, if you look at last week, um, the market market worries were broadened. Um, you know, there was talk about uh, you know U.S. missile strike on Syria during the week, and Russia warned you better get ready and and so forth. There's a long history of these missile strikes, but. It was interesting that um, if that attack had happened on like a during the weekday, right? Uh, it happened on a Friday mm-hmm. night, so the markets were closed over the weekend. There you go. And they opened up on Monday up. That's right. Right. But <clears> if that would have happened on a Wednesday night, the markets would have tanked Thursday. Probably so. And probably recovered. But <clears> um, man, you just can't make decisions on these headlines. No one knows how it's going to turn out. Markets go up more than they go down. That's right. <clears throat> and it changes day by day. I mean, now you have <clears throat> you know news of of uh, you know the Trump administration meeting with North Korea and that now, be best buddies. now they're talking about peace you know and denuclearization so you just never know you know how fast these things are going to change and you can't make your investment decisions based on them you know oil prices also hit the highest level since 2014 here recently they hit around $63 a barrel um so rising oil prices you know that used to be considered a bad thing for the stock market and the economy well, that really has changed over the last 10 years as we've become, uh, we've kind of moved from an energy dependent nation to an energy producer and an energy exporter. Um, so although rising prices still fuels inflation across the board, it also helps earnings as a significant part of our economy and the stock market in general. So, um, you know, in the short term, uh, we would now consider modestly rising oil prices to be a, a kind of a neutral force in the economy and the stock market. So it's not something that really hurts it. So what should you do is kind of the bottom line here. Um, investors, they're going to be best served to kind of take all of these headlines with a grain of salt and keep it in perspective. <clears throat> you know, remember that geopolitical risk <clears throat> are always a regular part of investing the long-term history of the market shows us that holding a well-diversified portfolio can buffer you against the short-term movements of the market and that often result from all these geopolitical events. But long-term, if you stay diversified, stay committed to a, a prudent strategy of diversification, um, stay focused on your long-term goals, 
the more market history has shown you will get there despite mm-hmm. these short term ups and downs of the market. So our our prescription of the day for all the geopolitical events going on out there is to kind of tune them out yeah. and stay focused on your long term goals. Yeah, it's noise. Absolutely. Okay, and that leads us up here to our question of the week. Yeah, this question is about um, the need for a financial advisor. They say, I've saved a million dollars. Do I really need a financial advisor? And first of all, congratulations. That's a lot of money, savings. A um, couple of questions I would have to respond. I don't know the exact situation on this, but, you know, is a million dollars enough to provide income? So are you on track? Have you done a retirement plan um, the other question is, is, you know, is that million dollars diversified? I mean, you could have made a million dollars in Bitcoin and that's probably not a good place to be sitting. True. Yeah. <laughs> right you want to now. move that out pretty quick. So a financial <clears throat> advisor can kind of help you evaluate, um, you know, are you on track? Are you diversified? Then you start looking at, um, tax planning and income distributions and so forth. So, uh, financial advisors, you know, can certainly add value to your situation, but it is, um, you know, dependent on the individual and what their needs are. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, a million dollars is a lot of money. Um, so now you have serious money. If you've saved a million dollars for sure, you know, that's a life savings and you certainly don't want to make a big mistake with that. So you want to be careful and we'll make sure that you're getting good advice, um, with it. You want to invest it prudently, make sure you're diversified properly. Um, make sure that you're, you're saving taxes and, you know, the best way possible. So, Certainly may be time to get some advisors and get some help with that. Um, but, uh, you know, again, it depends on the individual mm-hmm. and some people, you know, are, are qualified and, and don't mind doing the research to to really uh, make sure they're do, making smart decisions. But even those people need to get some outside advice. Yeah, it's complicated. When you start looking at, at taxes and um, there are some strategies out there, Roth conversions, QCDs. I mean, there's a lot of... There's a lot of detail. It keeps us on our toes, that's for sure. So, you know, if you're doing it by yourself, just be careful because it is not easy. Definitely not. So great question of the week. And that leads us up here to our next topic, and that is panic is not a strategy, nor is greed. Yeah, that's right. This actually comes from uh, Charles Schwab as well. Liz Ann Saunders um, produced this, and it's it's really good. It's really timely uh, for whether we're looking at it now or in the future. Um, you know, if markets are good at one thing, it's reminding investors that stock prices don't simply go up, um, uninterrupted forever. So 2017, like we talked about, Steve was very good. 2018 has been a lot more volatile markets do drop. Um, that really is an unavoidable part of investing. What matters is how you respond. Um, or more to the point, don't respond. So, just because you built a portfolio that matches your time horizon and your risk tolerance when markets are calm, you got to be careful when, when there is a surge in turbulence, um, you may not feel as comfortable as you did initially. Now, that's not to say you should ne- never respond to market moves, and that would be very um, sporadic, but it's a good reminder that good planning is like preemptive dose of Dramamine. It helps you to neutralize some of the nausea caused by the turbulence. If you can go into some of these situations with a little bit of knowledge of history in markets, that markets do drop, then it can help you get through it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and when it comes to panic, I mean, the most obvious example that people run into is like in 2008 when they're trying to dump investments when the market's dropping. And everybody knows in hindsight that's the wrong thing to do, but it's very difficult to avoid that in the, the heat of the emotions. Um, when the market's dropping and, and you um, feel like it could go to zero. 
Um, but this is a great way to invert the old adage about buying low and selling high. You don't want to do that. Never before has information about the global economy and markets been more readily available and disseminated than it is today with the Internet and, you know, the 24-7 news cycle. Um, you know, it's always out there. So as a result, global markets have become more interconnected. In turn, our reaction mechanisms are heightened, you know, because we see every tweet. We see those things flash across mm -hmm. our iPhone, you know, that gives us news the breaking second that it happens um, now. So you have to be careful with that. Investors should rarely, if ever, react in a purely emotional fashion to a dramatic short-term movement in the market. Um, so you got to step back, like we talked about, and focus on your long-term goals. Yeah, you also have to be careful with greed, too, Steve. We see that. Um, technology has done real well. You look at the Amazons and the Bitcoins. Um, greed can also lead you astray in a number of ways. First, there's a temptation to load up on aggressive, higher-risk assets in hope of a big payoff. And But there's a dark side to an aggressive posture, um, you know, when you start looking at the higher returns, it's the risk that you're taking and getting there. So when you look at an aggressive portfolio, it does have higher historical returns, but it also has a wider range of returns. That means the higher, the st standard deviation, it's more volatile, um, basically is what it boils down to. And, and most importantly, those higher returns typically are generated through stick to you know, sticking with your strategy versus just lucky bets, right? So, you know, there's a temptation to try to time the market, and it really is enticing to try to catch the next big investment wave up or down and reallocate um, your assets accordingly. But there are very few, if any, time-tested tools for consistently making those decisions well. So timing the market is not a valid strategy. It's not, you know, and the fear and greed that leads to that um, are the two impulses that can really work together, you know, with today's greed kind of paving the way for tomorrow's panic. Investors may think they understand their risk tolerance until they don't. You know, I mean, it's one thing to 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 see it on paper and say you understand your risk tolerance, but it's another thing to live through it and see the markets drop. You know, there's a big difference between financial risk and the ability to well, which is the ability to withstand the financial you know, drops and, and ups and downs of the market. But then there is the emotional risk tolerance, which is kind of the ability to sleep at night in down markets. And the gap between the two is quite often wide and only becomes evident in these tumultuous market environments that we see like a 2008 type scenario. Yeah. And, and too often we see investors um, with their rear view mirror approach to investing decisions they look at past performance as a guide to future results, and we know that's not the case. Um, we've known plenty of older, close-to-retirement investors who have stuck with their aggressive investment stances um, because they're accustomed you know, to the, to the thrill. They like the higher returns, but they've given no thought for how a loss at the start of their retirement might affect their savings. And we've also seen, Steve, young investors who couldn't you know, stomach um, the thought of any losses despite having decades in which to potentially recover and accumulate returns. So be careful about looking back at the past. I mean, markets, they don't repeat themselves. You can take some lessons from there, 
Um, but just be careful with that. And we do see many aggressive investors, you know, they've learned the hard way that they had a lower tolerance for that big loss in the short term than they thought. And to maintain their aggressive allocations, they generally had to double down on the asset classes that generated those steep losses and shift away from the asset classes that had weathered the storm. So be careful on the greed side as well. It can it can cause you issues. That's right. And even conservative investors have to be careful of that. Um, you know, a conservative portfolio has lower historical returns, but that comes with significantly lower volatility and downturns. Um, for some, the lower return is worth it to sleep at night, you know, to not be able to have anxiety over your portfolio. But the real reality is that many investors want all of the upside of the markets, that, you know, whenever they're performing well, mm-hmm. but none of the downside when they're not, you know, and that's unrealistic. So you got to kind of check yourself. Um, you can't, you know, even if you are a conservative investor, you can get greedy and want all the upside when it's just not reality. Yeah, so trying to time the market, Steve, being too aggressive or too conservative, um, these are all difficult decisions. There are a couple of great ways to invest. I mean, we talk about this frequently, and Swab obviously believes this as well. Asset allocation, being um, you know diversified, periodic rebalancing is is a great way to to invest and 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 handle your finances. One of the most important areas is really the development of a long-term strategic plan. Um, it can help you create you know, a diversified portfolio and also just give you some peace of mind when we do go through the dips that you can get through um, you know, and you can make it through. That's right. That's right. Rebalancing is also a very important part of the picture. Um, as you mentioned, John, you know, that's maintaining your allocation by adding to the underperforming asset classes and trimming out the ones that have overperformed or performed very well. Um, and that goes against your emotions of fear and greed that often drive your investment decisions. It may be challenging to sell investments that have done really well and then add to holdings that haven't performed as well. But, you know, developing and maintaining that right long-term mix is by far the most important set of decisions that you'll ever make when it comes to investing. So rebalancing, that forces you to do what you know you're supposed to do, and that is to buy low and sell high. So have a disciplined rebalancing, uh, you know, strategy in your portfolio and it will actually add to your return and lower risk over time. Yeah. So to summarize, um, Steve, you know, market volatility, it definitely is unnerving. Um, but you know what? It's normal. And, uh, what we see historically is normally short lived. I mean, sometimes it's weeks, sometimes it's months. We do get into situations where it can be years, but that's part of investing. And if you build a you know a solid financial plan, well diversified portfolio, you're working with someone that can kind of give you some some support and encouragement through those difficult times. You can get through it, um, but you got to have a plan. You got to stick to it and um, tune out the noise because the noise is going to make you generally make a bad decision. That's right. What we've seen this year really is not a lot of noise compared to what it could be. You know, if you remember back 2008. Mm, that yeah. was a volatile year, 2009 as well. And um, people have forgotten what that looks like. So they're kind of choosing their risk level now without really the the the, the hindsight of, of really understanding and knowing what that feels like when the market's down 30, 40, 50%. Um, so you really have to do a gut check when you pick your allocation and, and you have to do a gut check when you when you get nervous about the market and say, you know, this really is what markets do. Markets do go up and down and, you know, corrections are normal. This is not something that's, 
way out of the normal what we saw back in February when the market dropped, you know, 10%. Um, so, you know, do a reality check from time to time. Yep. And that's a great, great uh, topic. And that leads us up here to our final thing, and that is the prescription of the week. Yeah, this has to do with buying stuff online. And, and I talked to my wife, Tammy, about this, and and she uh, and I've seen it a, a little bit, not as yep. much as um, as what she was communicating to me. And I talked with some other folks in the office. And so here's the prescription. When you're buying items on the web, um, search various websites. I mean, typically we go to Amazon, and then Tammy will go and look at that item and then go back. So if we're looking at, let's say, a tent, from Coleman, we'll go to Coleman's website and, and take a look at it and she'll put it in a cart. And Amazon has the algorithms and they have things set up that my guess is they give you the top price when you first go look at it. And as they see you're looking around, they're going to lower that. And um, Sarah mentioned to me as well, um, she's in our office, that she'll put it in her cart and then she'll get an email 15 minutes later saying, hey, you know, there's a lightning deal. You'll get 15% off if you go and purchase this stuff. So they're watching your activities. Yeah, it's interesting. And you're, you're right. And they make it easy to one click. That's right. right? And, Just, I, and I think there's also the opposite going on, though, on some things like airline tickets, for instance. If you go shop an airline ticket and you go back, you know, time and time to Delta.com, wherever it is you're shopping on, I think those, I think the airline sees that and they start raising the price. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think more activity mm-hmm. on a particular flight searching the airline makes the price go up. Yeah. So in that case, it, it may be good to, to, to search those with a private session mm-hmm. on your website. So they don't see that you're searching that. Um, How do you do a private session? Well, if you go on your web browser, you can usually, if you right click or if you go to the menu, you can select a private window mm. and it will not save the cookies or history and it won't let your IP oh, address okay. won't let your IP address be seen. Yeah. That's good. Interesting. But yeah, so pay attention to that when you're doing your shopping online. That's your prescription of the week. All right. And this has been this week's edition of Money MD. Do tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Check us out on our website, moneymd.net, <clears throat> and email us your questions at info at moneymd.net. Or give us a call at Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor.